time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 157 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And we kiss them too. Don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house in historic Gettysburg, PA. Bantam Coffee Roasters. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? Rich and delicious French roast. It is delicious. And you know what? Everybody should go over and use our code FLUFFYBUTT. You get 10% off. Anything on the website. And where should they go? BantamRoasters.com. And follow them on Facebook and Instagram. Are you ready to sip some of this delicious French roast and chat? I am. But first, a word from our sponsor. We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. They're here, new and improved, Grubly's World Harvest. I'm a longtime subscriber and my flock love the healthy, nutritious treats, plus orders $40 or more ship free. If you haven't heard, Grubly's has a fantastic layer pellet and crumble feed. It's packed with plant and insect protein, perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Grubly Farms makes food and treats for healthy pets and planet. To support us and Grubly's, go to our website or our show notes and use the link. Try it today. If you like your flock healthy, happy, and laying lots of eggs, our friends at Neutrina have something for you. We've been hearing great things about NatureWise, but don't take our word for it. See what everyone is clucking about at NeutrinaWorld.com. How are you doing today? Pretty good. How about you? I'm hanging in. I'm hanging in. Excellent. <laughs> it was cold today. Mm-hmm. We were saying the introduction, and in my head, I thought of something that made me laugh, but I couldn't laugh because I was saying the introduction. <laughs> okay. And it was when we were driving back from Ohio the other week, and we passed that family fun place. It was like the only place for like two hours. Oh, yeah, and it was jam-packed. And it was packed, and I was like, that looks horrible. And you were like, yes, but we are all about family and fun. Oh, I did, did that. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care. We're not going. We are not going. We've been on the road for like four hours at that point, I think. Or more. Or more, yeah. Yeah. I was like, yeah, we're not going to the family fun zone. No, no, no. family fun for us. No, thank you. Family fun, but most importantly, more chickens. <laughs> more chickens. More we're talking chickens. again about our chicken breeds today. They're still top secret. Yeah. We'll see how that works out. <laughs> see if we get the breeds we want. So did you have a nice Thanksgiving? Mm-hmm. Very nice. How about you? Very nice. Thanksgiving is always lots of work. Yes. I love Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. It's one of my favorite holidays, but it's the only holiday where you could like spend your entire month's budget on groceries on one meal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I like, you know how we'd like to make for Thanksgiving everything from scratch, everything fresh. It's it, expensive and a lot of work. Yeah, it can be expensive. I, I had a little sticker shock when I did my Thanksgiving grocery shopping. And I consoled myself with going to the thrift shop. <laughs> spend more money and there. Spend more money there. <laughs> but yeah, because I'm not totally sick this year, I got a lot of my prep work done early. Yeah. So that, that eased me into the transition. Yeah, it was a nice day. I mean, the rain earlier in the week helped with uh, the prep. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's staying in. My poor chickens. I'm like, ah, don't rain, don't rain. But yeah, it's always a fun day with family. Mm -hmm. And I just want to send this out there. A happy birthday belated to Ella and Sophia. Happy they birthday, both girls. have November birthdays. Mm -hmm. Well, so does somebody else that I know. I know. In fact, it's two days before your birthday. Happy birthday to my bestie. <laughs> yeah. I'm 35. Yeah. You're a filthy liar. <laughs> <laughs> no, I shouldn't say that. If you're 35, so am I. <laughs> Because you're older than me. I'm going to tell you something. Ladies, you look good. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought of something that evens the score of all of our thrifting battles and everything else. You are always older than me for the rest of our life. Oh, thank you. Bye. You're welcome. Uh, how many days? 22 days? Doesn't matter. That's it? It doesn't matter. You're oh. older than me. I tell Ella, because, you know, one of her besties, Lily, is one day younger than her. Mm -hmm. Literally, one day younger. Yeah, all I know is for 22 days, you're going to be... <laughs> <laughs> hey, don't get my age. I'm 35. I'm 35, man. <laughs> what do you tell Lily? Oh, I say, you're going to be one day younger than her forever. And as you get older, that will be very important. It's true. Well, 
I don't know. Just know that you got some really good stuff coming your way for your birthday. Yay. That's <laughs> <laughs> all because of those placemats. <laughs> William Sonoma. That's all I've got to say. Well, I again, I consoled myself. I went back to my mom's house and I found my vintage Williams Sonoma large glass turkey dish. That just it made you like feel all better. It did. You're like this is better than I was like. Look at my beautiful vintage turkey, three ninety nine. Yeah. The, re- the reality is, I don't actually use placemats at all. So I was thinking, fine. like, what else could I use them for? Because they're just different. Anyway, okay. So on that note, if you're listening to our show and you're loving it. Head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review. Believe it or not, this does amazing things for the growth of our show. We would love to see some reviews up there. If you want to make us happy, please, please give us some written reviews, some good ones. That would be great. And while you're there, hit that subscribe button. It does two things. You never miss an episode. And the other thing is, it's another great way we grow. If you're looking for other ways to support the podcast, you can share your favorite episodes on social media. You can tell some chicken-loving friends about the podcast. How about 10 zillion? Are there 10 zillion chicken people in the world? Yes. Yes. Uh, Okay. Excellent. You can visit our Etsy shop. Check out our mugs, our t-shirts, our tiny chickens. You're wearing a t-shirt today. I am. You can become a patron of the show, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. We have an amazing group of patrons there. And the other thing you can do to help support the podcast is visit our website and our show notes, use our affiliate links and discount codes, and buy products from our sponsors. Yay! Hey, Chris. Yeah? Do you like subscription boxes? Does it have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yeah. Let me take a minute to tell you about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the mega box. Tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You can't go wrong with a chicken tea. They are so cute and so soft. In the August box, I absolutely love those amazingly good smelling nest box herbs and that giant roll of rooster stickers. They're great. I love the wood decorative plate. It's going up in our studio today. And with all my baking, those egg separators are going to work awesomely. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. Such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. Use the code CWTCL50 for 50% off your first box of a three-month subscription or more. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals health products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. The Breed Spotlight is brought to you by Murray McMurray Hatchery, defining quality for generations. For over a century, Murray McMurray Hatchery has remained a trusted family-owned business, working tirelessly to ensure our poultry meet the highest standards. Whether you are an experienced enthusiast or just embarking on the journey, look to McMurray Hatchery for guaranteed quality rare and heritage breeds, low minimums, and all the supplies you need to raise your flock. Request a free catalog today. Let's talk about this feed from our friends at Neutrina. It's called NatureWise. Jody in Texas says her girls went crazy over this feed. Carol in Tennessee has eggs rolling out of her hen house. If you're looking for a feed that has what your flock needs to be healthy, happy, and productive, that is it. And we love it when your birds are healthy, happy, and productive. So head over to NeutrinoWorld.com and see what everyone's talking about. It's time for the breed spotlight, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yeah, what is that? Yeah. This week's breed spotlight. Are you speaking Dutch? Is that that what's... (laughs) You're speaking Dutch, I see. Right here, yeah. It's time for the read spotlight, yeah. And today's spotlight is the Holland chicken. It's the <laughs> Holland chicken. It's the Holland chicken, and the Holland chicken is an American heritage breed. But it says Holland chicken. It does. <laughs> we'll explain it, but it's the Holland chicken is an American heritage breed. American. And honestly, it's a bird that should be much, much more popular than it is. 
It's a pretty chicken. Mm-hmm. They are pretty. Well, I think every chicken's pretty. I, I agree, but I do think these are very attractive chickens. They are currently in the critically endangered category. Of oh, the, Lord. Yeah, Livestock Conservancy's conservation priority list. And honestly, this is a travesty because this chicken is so good at so many things. They are very pretty. They are calm and friendly. They're dual-purpose birds. They're good foragers. The hens are very good layers. Plus, they will hatch their own chicks. They go broody. The biggest problem with the Holland, I think, is probably that they are hard to get a hold of. Who talks about that all the time? I think availability is the number one problem why some chickens are in this situation. It certainly is a gigantic hurdle. It is. So the Hollands were developed in the 1930s by the New Jersey Agricultural Experiment Station, also known as a Rutgers University breeding farm. Hmm. Okay. Apparently... One of the foundation breeds was a bird from the Netherlands, which was formerly Holland, remember? Though I've had zero luck finding which of the Dutch breeds was used. I found it nowhere. Nothing. Okay. During the early 20th century, for whatever reason, we've talked about this a bit before, consumers decided that white eggs were more wholesome, more pure and clean, and even more hygienic than brown eggs. I always laugh when we talk about this it's because now it's the absolute opposite, right? Farmy and wholesome and brown eggs. Yes, yes, but back then it was like white eggs and no one had an inkling that eggs came in other... Eggs or are eggs, exactly. In other colors, right. even. It's like white eggs. That's it. So through the 1920s and the 1930s especially, there was this great demand for white eggs. And probably as a partial result of this, there was a trend of developing excellent dual-purpose white egg-laying chickens in university breeding programs. Now, the Lamona was one of these breeds. The Lamona was a large white chicken developed at the University of Maryland Beltsville in oh, the 1920s. That's right. And the Lamona was used as one of the foundation breeds for the Holland. And sadly, the Lamona is now believed to be extinct. I was going to say, we have not heard of the Lamona, mm. so it's gone. Probably. That's so sad. The first Hollands developed were white, and they were from the unnamed Dutch breed, the Lamona, White Leghorns, Rhode Island Reds, and New Hampshire's. These are all the foundation breeds. Hmm. Okay. But the white color never really caught on, possibly because predators can see white birds so easily. Oh, yeah. And it is believed that the white Holland may now be extinct as well. Sad. It is. I mean, there's something else to say to that, except we're sad. And the fact is availability gives them a harder time surviving. Absolutely, yeah. Now, all is not lost. A second color of Holland was also developed. It is a barred Holland with a cuckoo pattern. Mm -hmm. This bird ended up being a lot more popular with farmers. The barred Holland was developed from white leghorns, barred Plymouth rocks, australorps, and brown leghorns which I think is a nice mix of birds. That's the bird that when you look up the Holland that you're going to see now. Right. That's what it's kind of known as. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it makes sense. You know, the other night, Joe and I were sitting here. Sophia was out with her friends. Ella was upstairs or something. And we were flipping through channels and The Wizard of Oz was on. Uh-huh. TBS. Yep. On repeat. Right. Joe's like, you want to watch it? I'm like, yeah, this is like, you know, he's like, every year we waited for this day. I was like, yeah, we did. But it was so funny because now when it comes on, on the beginning, on the farm scenes, mm-hmm. all I saw were all the chickens. All the chickens, yeah. And there were lots of white chickens uh-huh. on that movie set that would be representative of what chickens would be. There yeah. weren't a lot of bard back then. No, not so many. Your bard were either Plymouth Rock or Dominique. Right. But I can see where the bard, it's more concealing, mm-hmm. like camouflage yep. chicken, the yep. white stands out. I mean- The whole situation is just kind of sad, though. It really is. Now, both colors of Hollands were accepted by the APA in 1949. Okay. Not too long ago. And I haven't looked in the newest standard yet, but they were both, and the Lamona, were all still included in the 44th printing. Even though it does not exist. I guess it hasn't been officially declared extinct. It's just believed to be extinct. Wow. I'm not sure how that works. Okay, so let's look at what this bird looks like Mm -hmm. okay so the hollands are considered they're considered a large breed and the roosters come in weighing about eight and a half pounds and the hens come in at about six and a half pounds Mm -hmm. they're gonna have straight combs red ear lobes despite those white eggs right so we know not always usually white ear lobes white eggs 
Sometimes their genetics can be a little, they can be bred differently. Well, again, there's American-made chickens, like the Delaware is another one. Right? Yep. They're going to have clean yellow legs and a moderately upright tail. So their back is somewhat broad. It's like broad straight back mm-hmm. and a broad chest. So, I mean, they're a heavy bird. But well-balanced overall. Yeah. They don't look clumsy. No, but they're a bigger bird. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. And the straight comb you mentioned? That's a big comb. Yeah. And I'm guessing for the bard with two different types of leghorn as a foundation breeds, that might have something to do with it. Exactly. You got brown and white leghorn Mm -hmm. in there. Now, the black stripes in their barring are a bit wider than some of the other bard breeds. Mm -hmm. Okay. And it gives the hens a darker look. Now, I have the Morans, which are more of a cuckoo print versus Poppy, who's the bard rock. Right. They definitely look different. They do. Yeah. So they're not as dark as the Cuckoo Maranzo, but darker than the Dominique's. Mm-hmm. If you look at them, the bars are definitely different than all the other barred chickens. Right. And it, it has its own pretty look. Right. But it's kind of hard to put your finger on. The only thing I could figure out is that the stripes were broader on the Holland. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the barring on several different chickens, just because they're barred, Cuckoo, barred, whatever, it, they all look different a right, little bit. Right, they do. And if you... The cuckoo does look more of a solid mm-hmm. versus if I look at Poppy, my barred rock. On the Morans, it's darker and it's more solid looking. white on the barred yep. rocks. Yep. Okay. So the cockerels and the roos, well, the cockerels and roos, they're the same thing. They're younger and older chickens. The boys. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Can be shades lighter, a few shades lighter than the hen. Yeah. I was surprised at how much lighter than the hens they could be. It's also very pretty. They're very pretty birds, I they think. They are. They are definitely. Now, the hens are pretty good layers, very good layers of large white eggs, 220 to 240 per year. That's in my excellent category. Yeah, that's pretty that's good. really good. Mm-hmm. They will go broody and they will hatch a clutch for you. Okay. This is great. You know, if you want an American breed hen, who will hatch the old fashioned way? Because they don't always go broody. Like if you get old style Rhode Island Reds that might still have broodiness. Spicy does not. Occasionally, she kind of acts broody, but mm-hmm. really never. Yeah. Poppy, never gone broody. Mm-mm. I mean, the De- my, my Delaware's never gone which broody. Which is kind of bewildering to me because they have a lot of leghorn, and leghorns are not about broodiness. But they do have Australorp in them. Well, yeah, there you go. Australorp will go broody, so I'm assuming that's where that comes from. That's probably where it comes from. We think Hollands are excellent homestead birds. The hens will hatch their own, which is great for off-grid homesteaders. They are calm and friendly and Reputed to be very good with kids. They're good foragers and great garden helpers. They're also supposed to be great additions to mixed flocks. They're reasonably heat and cold hardy. So they have the best of both worlds. But those comb and waddles are bigger. So they're going to need some protection against frostbite and freezing. Hmm, We might be talking about something later. Right? I don't know. Now, this is a critically endangered breed that needs help. And again, they deserve to be much more available. Maybe people think they're too close to the barred rock. They do look a lot like the barred rock, but, you know, every chicken needs to be available for people who want to have a chance to have that chicken. I would say that they're like barred rock without the attitude. I don't know. It's like some barred people really love their barred rocks. Well, barred rocks are great with people. It's just other non-dominant hens that are the problem. I have to say, though, when I had three barred rocks, it was much worse than just one. Yeah. And I think any chickens that you have in a higher number, except for salmon favorals, <laughs> they form a girl gang. They do. So, you know, I think that sometimes that could be it. But, you know, it's the availability. Now, they could be show birds if somebody wanted to try breeding them for show also. Absolutely. Especially since they're still in the standard. They're also slow growing and maturing, which some people hold against them. But if you like heritage breeds, you know that that's pretty par for the course. Every heritage breed. You know, they they grow more slowly. They tend to live longer. I like that aspect. Me too. Because somebody who grows too fast, that's genetically made to be that way. It's generally not good for the life and longevity of the chicken. Yeah. So let's talk about where to get them. You found a handful of breeders on your Google search. I did not find any major hatcheries that carry them, unfortunately. According to the Livestock Conservancy, the Holland may be the rarest breed of all the American chickens. None of the hatcheries have it. Not that I found. I mean, I only check the big ones. So if you, you know, if you have a small local hatchery, it might be worth checking out. And of course, check out the Livestock Conservancy's Breeders Directory, see if you can find someone near you. So if you know 
where you can get the Holland message us so that we can put it in our notes and we have it for people who might be interested. And this is also the part where I say, if you have the Holland, send us some pictures or better yet, put a story up on Instagram and hit the mention button and put us in. And then I will reshare your story. And we love to see your pictures. They always make us smile when we look at them. So yeah, there you go. The Holland. Fingers crossed that this bird does not slip into extinction. It's so sad. Mm-hmm. It's so sad. Would you put a Holland in your flock? Yeah, of course. I would too. If you're looking for a chicken coop that's produced in a planet-friendly, sustainable way, try Nestera. Each coop is made from highly durable, 100% recycled plastic that keeps the equivalent of up to 2,000 shampoo bottles out of a landfill. Their clean, modern design will fit into any garden or run area and comes with an industry-beating 25-year warranty and a range of handy accessories. Simple to put together, so quick and easy to clean, and most importantly, red mite resistant. Your chickens will love it. Quick shipping from Nestera.us. For a 5% discount, use the affiliate link in our show notes, on our website, and on Instagram. Link in bio. Check them out today. Roosties proudly sponsors Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. They're back with an innovative new product. You're going to want to check this out. It's an extra large set. A 14-pound feeder and 3-gallon water with steep anti-roost lids. They're made of super durable material. You can either stand them on legs or hang them on brackets on your coop or fence. They're easy to remove and clean too. Plus, they look awesome. We personally use Roosties and we're huge fans. So if you're raising chicks or keeping chickens, check out the Roosties store on Amazon or follow the link in our show notes. Okay, so are we ready to move on to main topic? Yeah. 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 So we're welcoming back Dr. Rebecca to our table. And we had a little chat with her all about the medical side of frostbite, Mm -hmm. the ins and outs, what to do. So here's her interview. Enjoy. Okay, so for this week's main topic, we are welcoming back Dr. Rebecca. You know she's one of our most favorite people ever to the show, to the table, because it's going to be getting cold outside soon. So welcome back, Dr. Rebecca. How are you doing? We'll let everybody know our topic in a minute. (laughs) Thank you. I'm good. It's good to be back with you, ladies. Thanks for having me. It's always our pleasure. So this week, we're going to talk about something We know that you saw a lot of this last year, especially in December, because we had just some Arctic conditions up and down the East Coast. It was the only time it was cold the whole winter was that week of Mm -hmm. Christmas. It was bitterly cold. That's it. It didn't even snow. It was just bitterly cold. Just bitterly cold. And so we saw frostbite popping up on poultry all across the country, certainly right here in the Mid-Atlantic. So we're going to talk about the medical side of it with you. Can you tell us what happens to tissue when frostbite hits? I mean, essentially what happens, we'll keep it somewhat simple, but essentially when the weather is cold outside, especially animals that live outdoors, the body's defense mechanism against cold weather is to basically constrict the vessels that supply extremities. And the main areas we see frostbites in chickens in particular are the combs, the waddles and the toes, because those are kind of your main extremity points. So the body will kind of constrict those blood vessels to maintain heat to the more important parts of the body. And if it gets too extreme, what can actually happen is not only do the cells in those extremities, actually the cells freeze, but they're also deprived of oxygen because the blood flow is not getting to those extremities. And essentially you end up with those cells dying off. That's the simple way to put it, why frostbite happens. And that's why you see the discoloration in the tissue itself, because it's not alive anymore. Right. And it does go through stages. I mean, initially, you will see that it's almost like the tissue actually looks like more red. Sometimes it might look more red, sometimes more like a pale. It's kind of hard to say. But when you think about frostbite, I think most people think about that black tissue that's at the Mm -hmm. That kind of comes later. You first will see sometimes like blistering, more redness or even paleness of the comb and the waddles are the easiest place to see it. But the toes too might look more red or puffy or blistery as well in the early stages of frostbite. When I had my very first roosters years ago and we had a really cold snap and one of my guys lost some of the points on his comb, it was white. Literally those points in the comb were white. Yes, they can look white. I feel like it was more than a week later that they started turning black and eventually they sloughed off. Luckily, there was no infection. I think the other thing we should probably touch on, so I have Renaud syndrome, 
where if I touch something cold, the blood vessels in my fingers constrict and right. it hurts like crazy. It does. And that's and so, not even, you think about these animals that are outside with this right. morning frostbite, you think about just being outside for a few minutes with those, some of those cold temperatures, your hands, they do, they start to hurt. And so if that's what it feels like to have constricted blood vessels in the cold, what does it feel like for them? If they have tissue freezing on their comb or on their toes? I mean, from what we know from people, which is really all that we can extrapolate from, it has to be extremely painful. And as we talked about in our pain episode before, chickens are so good at hiding pain that it might not seem like they're in pain, but I can't imagine that especially those uh, severe frostbite cases have to be incredibly painful. So let's give everybody out there some warning signs, things to look for that your chickens are going to be doing out there that may be a little different behavior due to the cold where you should say. And the first thing that you want to look at before you even look at your chickens is temperature because under 32 is a time that you're going to freeze. So, I mean, it's cold in the thirties also, but under 32 is at freeze mark. And also if it's windy, because Mm. wind can be a factor in frostbite. So what are the things in the chickens that we should look for if we're looking to see it could be frostbite or it may not? First, it's important to kind of identify what birds might be more at risk than others. Certainly your birds with the single combs and especially the big single combs, like the leghorns, they're going to be much more at risk of this just because their comb is much bigger. It's more of an extremity point. And of course, roosters usually have bigger combs and waddles in general too. So they're going to be more at risk. As far as like the feet go, I don't know if the feathered feet chicken are less susceptible to this. I feel like they protect the skin. And if you're just dealing with cold, because I've been keeping feather feet for 20 years. Right. You're just dealing with cold, the feathers can help protect. If you're dealing with ice, snow or wet mud that's going to freeze then it could be exactly then it can be freezing yeah that makes sense but like you said if you're just dealing with a cold temperature those feathers are kind of there for that purpose they do they do make them a lot more cold hardy yeah you just have got to watch your substrate when it comes to that it's not getting wet and that's not good for any of them Mm -hmm. right right In that aspect, I think any chicken with the frostbite of the feet is going to be at risk. And the main thing to look for first is any discoloration of the comb or of the toes. And then, of course, I don't know that you will really see that much different behavior with the comb itself. But if they have frostbite of the toes, you'll be looking for limping or holding the feet up and general signs of discomfort there. Okay. I think the only one, and this was a severe case of frostbite, the rooster I mentioned earlier, He just was hunched and shivery. And so, you know, I wrapped him in a blanket and brought him in. But I think that in severe cases, they're probably just going to display what I'm assuming is pain behavior. Kind of like your general pain behavior. Yeah. 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 I'm kind of under the general rule, even with chickens. Everyone says chickens can tolerate cold. The thing is skin. It's different than the chicken itself. Skin itself. Any kind of exposure to cold, it's going to affect all skin in the same way. So think about if you were outside and how cold your nose and your fingers get with wind, they're going to feel the same. And that's why we talk about the cozy coop heaters so prominently. We talk that you need these in those situations. It doesn't make it warm. It makes it just to freezing or just above right? to keep frostbite from happening or have a place where they can come in. When it's 20 degrees outside. Gail Damaro says, and this is the only place I've found this. I've found studies talking about when hypothermia sets in and they're ghastly. Don't ever go looking for that because those studies are ghastly from the 1970s. And in those studies, a wet chicken could become hypothermic at as high as 40 degrees Fahrenheit. And Gail Damaro says that Prolonged exposure for any chicken when it's 25 degrees Fahrenheit or colder can lead to frostbite and hypothermia. I think it makes sense. I think that makes sense. Yeah. So that's probably your benchmark. And hypothermia is a whole other ballgame. And that's especially a problem with bantams. Right. And that's a different, that's, that's a whole different, different topic. situation than frostbite. Yeah. Frostbite's going to happen with skin. Right. So if you think about yourself and your own skin, and if you're out there shoveling the snow and how cold you get, how your hands get super red and windburned, 
The same thing's going to happen to the skin on their feet, the skin on their combs and waddles. And if they're out there drinking cold water on top and the water sits on it, it's going to just speed it up. So there's other things that we can do. Okay, so let's just say the cold wind comes in, it happens. What does someone do? We always say, come to you. Right. So if you're identifying a bird that looks cold or painful, if you see bright red chap looking skin or white discolored skin or the black necrotic skin starts to set in, you bundle up your bird, you take them into the veterinarian's office. What do you do on your side when someone comes in with a severely frostbitten bird? What is kind of hard about some of these cases, I think, is that there's a limited amount that we can do for it. but. I would say the main thing that I can do on my end is provide that bird with some pain control. That's probably the main thing that we're trying to make better for them because Mm. once frostbite kind of comes into play, it can be difficult to reverse the effects of it. Mm. We kind of sometimes have to kind of let it play out and see how things go, but there's things we can do to at least alleviate the bird's discomfort. So I would usually prescribe meloxicam, which is that non-steroidal anti-inflammatory for pain in general. There are creams and stuff that we can put on the comb and the waddles and or the feet if we feel like those tissues are looking either like blistery or red or just affected. I don't think we understand exactly how, but I was reading that aloe actually can help sometimes improve blood flow to those areas or just something with frostbite in general it seems to help with. So that's something you even over the counter at home can apply to the combs and waddles. I know people talk about Vaseline all the time to... I think it has some benefit potentially as like an insulator to prevent frostbite. I don't know how helpful it is once frostbite has set in. Right. I've heard of people doing that for their bigger combed birds. Silver sulfidine cream is something that I use a lot too for these types of cases. It's used primarily for burns. I don't, so I don't see why you can't use it for frostbite burns as well. That is something that I can also, if there's any like open blisters or anything, it can help prevent infection of those areas that they open up. And then there are some medications that are used to try to help like either promote blood flow to the extremities or to reduce the necrosis factors that show up in those extremities. So I have used a medication called pentoxyphylin before. It's used in general for extremity cases. It's not only for frostbite, it's for other things as well. I've tried it a few times. I can't say myself how well it works or not, but it's worth trying to see if we can prevent some die off of some of those cells from the frostbite. A lot of what you do too is debridement of dead tissue. So once the tissue dies, you can kind of assist it rather than waiting for it to slough off on its own. Right. We do have to wait a period of time. Basically, we want the tissue to declare itself like what is dead tissue right. versus mm-hmm issue that's going to improve. And this can take sometimes a few weeks. Sometimes you can see a clear line where the tissue has died and is kind of sequestering itself from the healthy tissue. But usually I have to wait to make that decision because I don't want to start cutting off tissue that might have a chance to heal. So I have to let the body try to do its thing first. I've never debrided a comb or a waddle before. I think people just kind of let that take its course, which is I think is okay as long as the bird is being provided with appropriate pain control and just mm-hmm. keep them comfortable. Because with a comb or a water, th- there's no bone or anything involved, right? Mm-hmm. I think the toes and the feet are more difficult to manage because if you do get dead tissue there, the underlying bone can get diseased and die off too, which can lead to chronic pain, infection. So I do feel that there is a lot of merit in debriding some of the toes or at least amputation of any affected tissue on the feet. Before we started recording, we were reminiscing about Ivy's lovely toe debacle this summer and how from Bumblefoot and it got the one toe and you were saying how closely it looked like what frostbite would do to a toe. It did turn dark, but it was an infection due to bumblefoot. And we know it wasn't frostbite because it was July, right? So if it hadn't been July, I would say it looked like frostbite. (laughs) Right. So we did the same type of thing. She came in every week and it must've been six weeks. We looked at it. We looked at it, debride it, looked at it again. And finally it had to be amputated. And the bone itself was diseased. This can happen with frostbite also. So 
having a relationship with your veterinarian with frostbite is very important because there are things that you can do that we cannot. So it's important. At the very least, I would imagine with more extreme cases where birds are losing toes, is that an occasion where antibiotics would be a good idea? I think it can be a good idea because I think especially with the feet, since you have those toe bones kind of bridging to one another, I think it's more likely that bacteria is going to spread through the foot. And I think there is merit to having someone see that because I think we would probably be able to save more of the foot than if you had just waited for it to slough off by itself. You see a lot of these chickens that have just like their foot pad left and nothing else because they just let those toes slough off. Whereas I think if we intervene earlier, we might be able to save more of the toes so they at least have more to walk on later. Yeah. My goodness. I have this giant pair of Australor Brewsters that came to me as a rescue and they were not pals in a coop for the first two years of their life. Oh, wow. And the smaller of the two has lost all the points of his comb and he has a damaged eye. That was a whole different story. But the bigger of the two still has the points on his comb, but he's lost the tips of some of his toes. Doesn't even have a toenail left. And that was from frostbite. Yeah. Even in a bird that big. And a lot of times, that's why we say, take the time and use the Cozy Coop heater because if anything, you're protecting the skin. The skin is a different thing. Whether or not a chicken can handle the cold is a different Hypothermia story is a different, right. than protecting the skin on the chicken. So even if you use the Cozy Coop heater just to protect the skin, you're going to save yourself. That I mean, it's right. much better to put that in there Absolutely. than to be going to the vets once a week for eight weeks treating frostbite afterwards. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely a case where prevention is by far the best thing you can undertake. Yeah, and prevention is definitely key with frostbite because once it does set in, we have, like I said, we have usually limited options of what we can do. And a lot of them might end up with, we are removing tissue. It's not, it's very rare that we're going to get through, I think, a case of frostbite and have everything survive undisturbed. Yeah. It's and, like you said, once a cell dies, it's dead. That's it. Right. It's not coming back. You're also, I think, if you have a bird with frostbite, you're also stuck with a lot of nursing because they do need nursing to get them through so let's some of those bad cases. Let's talk about what we would do for nursing at home. Someone has come to see you and now they're home nursing. What should someone be doing? So as we talked, I think applying some of those topical ointments can be very useful to just help alleviate any discomfort, but also potentially help to prevent more of that tissue from dying off. I do think it is important if it's feasible to keep them in a more climate controlled environment. So that just for even their comfort and to prevent any further damage to the skin as well. And I guess it depends on the chicken too. I think some of them are going to be more affected by this than others. And I think that might be even a personality thing. I mean, some of these will act totally unaffected by it, but you might also get some that are acting sick because of it because they're in pain. So they might need a little more just like TLC, nursing care, electrolytes in the water to make sure they're staying hydrated, potentially supplemental feeding if they feel that off about it. I like that point that this is why we have the chicken hospital within our flock system is bring them in, separate them while it's healing. The other thing is chickens will go after those spots that look different and they may peck their sisters and brothers may peck at those spots. So that's a good point. You don't want to have them out there and have somebody else going after it and making it worse. You know, it also throws your pecking order into disarray. If that's a leader. Yeah. Who's gotten frostbite. That's just going to cause chaos. Anytime you have to pull somebody out, it throws everything. (laughs) It does. It really does. It really does. I know that's a topic we're going to cover, but in the meantime, also looking at your setup and seeing what you can do to potentially prevent frostbite in the other birds. And those things are basically looking at your ventilation, making sure you're reducing humidity as much as possible. It's a balance for sure to prevent frostbite. I feel like a lot of the chicken education out there also will stop there because I think what people need to know is at a certain point, you're not dealing with a bit of frostbite from condensation from a moist coop. There is a point at which the temperature is so low that you just have freezing tissue. That's also true. Yes, exactly. The condensation type of frostbite is easier to treat than getting so cold to the point where the tissues freeze and die off. That's the problem Mm -hmm. right there. 
that you can't regenerate those cells. So you're dealing with sloughing of skin and everything else and potential infection. So like Dr. Rebecca is saying, prevention, it's worth it to prevent it. It can happen to anybody, even if you're trying to prevent Absolutely. It. You know, like it can happen. We're not trying to say if you do these things, it won't happen. We're just saying give it less of a chance of happening. When we had that cold snap last year, there was uh, one of the days the temperature dropped from like 30 something to well below 20 with a terrible wind chill. And I, I may have been over here. I don't know where I was, but I remember rushing home and running right to the Australorps. And I picked up my big guy with the big home and he already had damage on the top of his point. Yeah. And that was the wind. It also. was the wind and it was during the right. day. So we brought him in and we kept him inside until that cold broke. But Mine you know, were in for four days. Then. It can happen to anybody. You just yeah. I think it's important it. that if your chickens get frostbite, especially those big combed breeds, it is not something that you should automatically feel like you're a bad chicken owner. Right. Either. Exactly. Sometimes you can only do so much. Exactly. Um, I, yeah. I did not. What, something that was actually difficult for me is this year I have an ion tsunami rooster. And I mean, he comes all black. I, yeah. how, how do you tell what's going on right. with his comb? So he did lose some of his comb because I feel like he's like semi-feral and was choosing <laughs> to roost in a tree instead of in the coop when it was that cold. But yeah, those dark skin breeds, it can be much harder to evaluate if there is something going on with the skin or not. I'm sure. That's fascinating. That's why one of the reasons we do the breed spotlight is if you're in a super cold area, you may want to pick a chicken that's cold hardy that <laughs> They tend to have smaller combs and waddles so that they're a little bit more ready for that cold versus the Mediterranean breeds that have the huge floppy combs and everything. Do you ever see, I know that their blood supply works a little differently. Do you ever see any of the waterfowl with frostbite? I have actually yet to see any waterfowl come in with frostbite. That's a really good point. Great. That's that's great. I feel like they're way more cold hearted. They are. They are. That they're meant to be. I mean, they get in the water when it's Mm -hmm. like 20 degrees that they're meant to be out there in that situation. Yeah. And I feel like their skin is less, way less. They have the feet. They they really have no exposed skin at all. And I mean, because of their affinity for water, obviously, they just have a lot more of that down layer. And it's like almost you really have to work to. If you want to look at the skin of a waterfowl species, you really have to work yeah. at it and get down into those feathers. I guess the biggest thing, how did their legs and their feet like prevent it? I don't I don't know that maybe that is something with just their physiology. Right. I, that's what I read. Their feet, they really have nothing exposed. Exactly. Right. And that's what I read. It was something about the way the blood constricts differently in their legs than it does in, say, a chicken. Oh, it makes sense. I wonder if the webbing helps at all, too. It's kind of like reducing the surface area that yeah definitely i did just read though that chinese and african geese you know the ones with the knob yeah that knob can get frostbite uh, yeah i, I believe that. that i guess yeah yeah that would so make sense good. yeah well i'm hoping this is really helpful for a lot of people especially new chicken keepers who haven't had to go through a really brutal cold snap you don't know what you know until you go through it and, you know, like I had some frostbite damage last year. Dr. Rebecca did. It happens. It happens. But you know, your best efforts. But prevention is the key when it comes right. to frostbite. So just, I mean, before that, just check for drafts in your coop. Definitely. Uh, tarps are my favorite thing to use for winter. I love them. It's amazing how much they can just reduce the wind coming in and just making them more comfortable. Absolutely. Um, I mean, for me, it also prevents snow when it does snow from getting all in the run because my chickens hate the snow. They will not walk. <laughs> I have to <laughs> shovel the runs. Mine yeah. <laughs> So I didn't have to shovel out my run last time with any of the snow p- from the tarps. So I definitely <laughs> recommend tarps. And then I know people say all the time chickens don't need that supplemental heat. And I think that's true in order for them to like survive. But I try to like remind people too that there's a difference between an animal surviving and right. providing them with a comfortable living environment and 100 percent agree providing Absolutely. what you can i mean like yes they probably don't need those coop heaters but hey they probably would enjoy them if you put them in there well exactly. i mean my two pound nankins absolutely need them oh uh, first depending on your breed too and right. if you have like silkies that don't really have insulating feathers i think yeah. that that is 
actually crucial. Speaking of that, and we would say frizzles too. Speaking of that, would you believe that the Ohio National Poultry Show, and it was a first place winner, there was a frizzle I am Samani. Really? Yes. Cool. Yeah. (laughs) It was very cool. We had a big fuss (laughs) over that. Well, we just want to thank Dr. Rebecca for coming on today, giving us these tips and some great information because we're coming into frostbite season. Again, if you have any questions or concerns, you can email us or DM us. We will help you the best that we can. If not, if we can't, we'll help you find a veterinarian so that you can take your chicken to the vet. But thank you, Dr. Rebecca. It's always a blast. You're welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Talk to you later. Thank you. We just want to thank Dr. Rebecca one more time for a really great chat. I feel like there's not enough solid information about frostbite out there, and hopefully this goes a long way towards helping that. I really like her tip about aloe. Yeah. Awesome. Yep. That's a new one. Mm -hmm. Okay, so are we ready to move on to? Cracking the eggs. Cracking those eggs. Now, we're after Thanksgiving, (laughs) and... What do we have a lot of? Well, you do not. I do not. Because you don't eat it. But a lot of people have a lot of leftover turkey. Right. Well, I essentially changed this and put some chickpeas in there for me. Yeah, you could use any kind of source of protein that you would Mm -hmm. like. Put shrimp in there if you have it. Shrimp would be great in here. It would be delicious. But we're talking about leftover Thanksgiving fried rice. Mm -hmm. And we love ourselves some fried rice because we can crack our eggs into the rice right. and it makes it delicious. Exactly. So let's go over what we have ingredient wise, or this is one that you can make your own too. Absolutely. You can substitute a lot of stuff in here. You can. One medium onion diced, a half a cup of leftover veg or veg of choice, broccoli, carrots, anything you had on mm-hmm. your Thanksgiving table that you might have left, two tablespoons of butter or olive oil. Three cups of cold cooked rice, two cups of diced cooked turkey or other protein, like Holly Ann said, chickpeas are good. They're so delicious. Yeah. And you get protein from the eggs in this too. Right. Two tablespoons of soy sauce or more to taste. Or gluten-free. Yeah. A tablespoon of sesame oil as needed and two large eggs. So it's not a big egg buster recipe. No. This And again, if your girls are molting, it's nice to have a recipe that doesn't have to use a lot of eggs. So you're going to spray or grease a large frying pan, a skillet, or a wok, whatever works, whatever you have. I always use a wok. You're going to add the onion. And over medium-low heat, you're going to cook it, stirring occasionally until it's softening and just starting to brown. That should be about five minutes. Add your veggies and either your butter or olive oil and cook, stirring that for another five minutes. Turn the heat up to medium-high, add your rice and your turkey or other protein, add your soy sauce, or you could use gluten-free tamari as well, and your sesame oil, and you're going to stir rapidly to get everything coated. You're going to push the stir-fry to the sides of the pan, so you have a well in the center. And scramble that egg. Break your eggs in and scramble them. Then use your spatula to rake through the eggs and form some strips. Stir the cooked eggs quickly and thoroughly into the rest of the stir-fry mixture, Serve and enjoy. It's pretty easy. It's simple. It's a great like midweek recipe. Mm -hmm. I love this because everything you have that's left over, you can just use and throw in. Right. And it makes something different. Yeah. I mean, I've I've seen people say that they throw stuffing in there, whatever. Yeah. Throw it all in there. And stir fry it. Mm -hmm. And it's awesome. It's just another way to use the food that you spent a lot of money on to make so that you don't have to throw away your Let's give it a little different flair in case you feel like you've been eating the same thing for five days. Exactly. So try it. You might like it. Let us know what you think or send us a picture. We'd love to see it. Are you ready to move on to retail therapy? Retail therapy. Yeah. This week's retail therapy, we are talking a new product from Grubbly Farm. Grubbly Farms Omega Mix Treats. Now, let me tell you, we got some and whew, it is amazing. It's really good stuff. I wasn't sure how my girls would receive it, but they gobbled it. They love it. Mine are loving it. I give it to them in between, like not as much, mm-hmm. but this stuff is amazing because it's got everything good in it for them. So you're getting black soldier fly larvae, as always, from Grubblies. Right. But then there are a host of other things in there. There's some dried veg. Yeah. There's broccoli, carrots, the soldier fly marigolds. 
And it's not just little bits of marigolds. It's like whole petals of marigolds. There's a ton of stuff. Black seed, chia seed, sunflower seeds, all the really good stuff for your chickens. And it's fun. It gives them something different to yeah. see. They see all the colors. They see all the textures. And it's a fun treat to give them on top of being highly nutritious for them. Right. It's high in those omega fats, which helps with their eggs and it helps with their feathers. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Amazing. It's really good stuff. I know you crack it open and you're like, wait, is this for my chickens? Because this looks really good. It is a great addition to grubbly soldier fly grubs. Yes. So you could have a bag of the soldier fly grubs and a bag of the omega mix and switch them out so you're not going through them as fast as you can. Yeah. Now, it is high in protein and healthy fat to support egg production, which is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. It's really, really good stuff. The ingredients, it's just one thing's better than the next. There's a lot of evidence that hens that eat a diet that's high in omega fatty acids pass that on to you through the egg. Oh, yeah. So it's really even making your eggs healthier. If such a thing is possible, it's making your home fresh eggs even healthier. So they do have a feeding guide for this. It's treat birds with two tablespoons daily or a half cup per pound of feed. The folks over at Grubbly's say that you can use it as a feed topper. It's something that you just put right on top of your feed. I have done that, yeah. Yeah, so that they get a little treat when they do that. It's intended for the adult chickens, but it's also good here for turkeys, ducks, and geese. Right. Okay, so. Somebody around here might be needing some of that sometime <laughs> soon. Maybe. Maybe, maybe. So it's an amazing thing, packed full of wonderful stuff. Do yourself a favor. Try this with your chickens. They're going to love it. Trust us. Yeah. And go to Grubbly Farms' website. You can find the Omega Mix and look at the guaranteed analysis yeah. for the nutrients. I mean, it's really good stuff. If you go to our social media on Instagram, I made a reel and I show the stuff. The girl's going crazy for it. But I show what it really looks yeah. like. And when you open the bag, it's just like, wow. Mm-hmm. High quality, great product, amazing. Yeah, it's really great stuff. This is a super easy review for us to do because our chickens went wild for it. They really loved it. Okay. So with that said, should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week, the first week of December, we're going to be spotlighting a very cute little bird, the booted bantam, also known as the sable poot. So cute. So cute. We have an absolutely fantastic interview, especially for our UK listeners. We're going to be talking to Kirsty and Paul from Eco Nourish. It's a great interview. They're a startup company in the UK, and I've got to tell you, you do not want to miss their story. Cracking the eggs. This is a Chrissy. <laughs> this is <laughs> easy weeknight pot pie. So good. I love myself some pot pie. Me too. Me too. And retail therapy. We're going over this year's gifts for your favorite chicken ladies or gents. Oh, yeah. This good is stuff. a don't miss. What should we tell everybody to do until next week? Hug your chickens. Every day and kiss them too. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. Ha, 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 ha.